0: This is Grave Telch and this is episode 82 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie selected specifically by our guest that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. Hope everyone's having a great week out there. Really excited about this week's movie conversation. As I mentioned on Monday's Beyond the Screens, uh, last week we had Thomas Mariani on from double Edge Double Bill. And this week we have the other half of that, Adam Thomas, uh, coming on to talk about his spooky season movie selection. And he went with the remake of Night of the Living Dead. Not the original, not the classic, but the 1990 remake. And we have a great conversation not only about the movie, but also about remakes in general. I will note that over the course of this, at one point I refer to a video on YouTube about uh how to how to make a trailer and i did put a link up to that on social media yesterday so i do recommend you watch that it's like two and a half minutes it's it's audio with text screens but it's really funny but also insightful look into how trailers are kind of assembled and it does have something to do with our conversation so let's get into it here we go talking about night of the living dead the remake from 1990 with adam thomas All right. So I want to ask you, you picked a remake uh, and yeah. you kind of went straight to this one. And I want to get what to Adam makes for a good remake, because there are people who who want remakes of movies, but then they complain when it's too similar to the original or too different from the original. And it's like, what do you people want? So what does Adam want out of a out of a remake? What makes for a good remake for Adam?
1: Uh, you know, the thing that makes a g- appreciation for the source material. It could be just, you know, as far as, you know, an homage or even basically a shot for shot remake. As long as there's appreciation for the source material, a love and a sort of understanding of what came before it and you honor its legacy or however you want to look at it, then I think it works. It's when you get, I would argue like the nightmare on Elm street or the stepfather or prom night or all those ones that came out that just, really were in well it's nightmare on elm street maybe not so much but the other two were basically just in name only uh you know it's a cash grab and an ip and nightmare on elm street just tr- shot for i don't know what the fuck they were trying to do it was just <laughs> lazy and and i mean it just you know it's bad when you're watching the nightmare on elm street remake and there's a scene where it's uh you know Jack Earl haley as freddie Krueger, and you can see the green screen makeup on his face still
0: oh and it's in
1: the final edited film
0: See, I have not seen that remake yet, and I, I actually was thinking I'm going to do that this this year. this This will be my Halloween. I'm going to go back to Nightmare on Elm Street, and I'm going to revisit some of the movies. Like I, I made a comment on one of your episodes when you guys did did Nightmare on Elm Street and talked about
1: mm-hmm.
0: my memory of number two. And you both said, oh, you probably should revisit it. And I was like, okay, I'll revisit that. I'll finally watch the remake. And then you guys had to have both a, a fucking Chucky discussion, which made me want to watch those movies again. And then you threw in a fucking phantasm discussion that makes me want to revisit those movies. And it's like, I don't have time for all these movies. <laughs>
1: so, so, so just pick the ones that you haven't seen before. The ones that you remember really liking. And just go with those or pick the ones that you remember not being too fond on and see see if they maybe change for you.
0: So basically your advice is pick all of them and just watch them. (laughs) Yeah, for sure, man. What the fuck? It's not like you're doing anything else. (laughs) So you you did mention shot for shot because I was going to ask you about that again a movie I have not seen. But I remember the response to Gus Van Sant doing the shot for shot remake of Psycho. Um, and, and a lot of people being like, why would you do a shot-for-shot shot remake? The original still exists, so why why is that even an exercise?
1: Well, I think the problem with that is, especially with Psycho, um, it's it's a movie that nothing needed to be updated or changed as far as the filming or the cinematography to it, and I ultimately, I think that's why that really failed. To me, the, the really good remakes, uh, to expound upon a little bit more of what we were talking about, are ones that take maybe a flawed but still good movie mm-hmm. and maybe update it or change it or, you know, do things better. Like, I think ultimately our, our topic for tonight does.
0: Okay. Interesting. Yeah, that'll definitely come up later. I, I, I kind of fe- I feel the same way. Like, if the movie, the original movie was flawed, then there's room for a remake. There's room for improvement. I remember uh, when the Clash of the Titans remake came out or was oh, coming God. out. Well, but that's just it. Is If you watch the original Clash of the Titans, yes. I mean, the Ray Harryhausen special effects, There's just you just can't hold a candle to those. But the movie as a whole has plenty of room for a remake. What we got just wasn't the right remake.
1: No. <laughs> and by plenty of room, you mean fucking Harry Hamlin. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> I
0: loved Harry Hamlin on L.A. Law.
1: <laughs> okay, I'll give you that. But then they replace him with a fucking walking piece of drywall that is Sam Worthington. And it's just, it just, yeah, nah, nah. But that's another one where it's just, it had a real hip trailer with like real sweet guitar licks. Like they don't give a fuck about what they were doing. They just wanted to make a 3d action movie.
0: Yeah. And and that's, that's probably it. That reminds me of, there is a, I don't think I've shared it with you, but there's a, a, a trailer on YouTube. That is how to make an Epic movie trailer. And it's, it's no visuals, but it is the formula And it's all audio and it's like, you know, uh, about where you put in the boing sounds and, you know, where you, you know, uh, a a contemporary cut of a classic song and the villain says this and and it's like, but if you, if you watch that, uh, how to build a trailer and then you compare it to stuff like. I don't know, the Transformers trailer or even some of the Star Wars trailers. And it's like, man, they they kind of nailed it as far as this formula that the studios use, which is kind of getting into the heart of what you're talking about. It's about formula. It's not about a love for the product. It's about a formula that gets butts in seats.
1: Oh, no, absolutely. You know how fucking tired I got of hearing like 80s or early 90s fucking metal jams sung by like a young female playing an acoustic guitar? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that, that was in fucking like seven trailers, like sweet child of mine in the last house on the left trailer. You're like, Oh, for fuck's sake. And
0: and Come that's on. one of those songs you just shouldn't touch in the first place. So, yeah. no, I-
1: no, it's all nostalgia baity shit. That's that's the point. That's what they're doing. It's nostalgia baiting. Oh, I remember this song. I like it. I remember that movie. Oh, yeah. Let's see the new version. It, it, it's just banking on people's love of the source material, like without. Like I said, they don't give a shit if they make a good movie. They know it's going to make money because of the IP.
0: You, you have to admit, though, the cover of Nirvana at the opening of Black Widow was kind of cool.
1: Well, they, yeah, that was cool because I didn't expect it. They didn't use it every <laughs> fucking trailer.
0: Right. So right. it
1: worked. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. As a piece of the film, it worked because they didn't overdo uh-huh. it in the trailers. Yeah, that's a really good point. So what are some of your favorite remakes?
1: Fa- some of my favorite remakes? Well, I mean, obviously, I think the, the most sort of cliche ones to say would be like Cronenberg's the Fly or Carpenter's the Thing, of course, because those are great, but I, I fucking champion to death the 20, 2009 Friday thirteenth. 13th. Um, I think it's one of the best of the series, probably maybe the second best of the entire series in my opinion. Um the one we're talking about tonight is my all-time favorite. The one that was a sequel to the original or the Dawn of the Dead remake, I think is super fun and exciting. and does something completely new with it while still paying respect to what came before it. Um, I think the, the first Texas Chainsaw remake was really solid. Um it, you know, it, it just all depends. Like there, there's some even the the shitty ones that are name only. There's certain aspects of them that I like that they might change up a certain thing. So, like even it, it it's a bad movie. Like okay, it's a bad one. But the Black Xmas that came out in like the early two thousands, <laughs> terrible film. It's terrible. But what it does right is sort of the neon look to a lot of the lighting, and the over the top gore and violence really works for it. Okay. Aren't at its shit, but all
0: right. What are cause you've already said, even if they're bad, if, if they have something, what, what are irredeemable remakes? What are remakes that just have no, no redeeming quality to them whatsoever? <laughs> in the book?
1: Okay. Ooh, boy. All right. Uh, so I would say, uh, even though I'm not a fan of this source of chill either, but I think the remake is even worse. Uh, prom night, of course. um, <laughs> The Stepfather, again, with the guy from Nip Tuck, is terrible. There was a remake of April Fool's Day with Scout Taylor Compton that was released directly to uh, DVD. It's abysmal. It's almost unwatchable. Um, The recent Castle Freak remake is terrible. Terrible, terrible.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, with that in mind, let's go ahead and get into this remake discussion. You picked Night of the Living Dead, but not the original, the 1990 remake. Uh, written by John A. Russo and George Romero, directed by Tom Savini, starring Tony Todd, Patricia Tallman, Tom Trowles, McKee Anderson, William Butler, and Katie Finneran. They came to pay their respects. They're coming to get you, Barbara.
1: Why do you have to be so cruel? Cool. What? Show some respect.
0: Now, they're running for their lives. A biologist in Stockton,
1: California, have released reports focusing on the phenomenon, specifically on that trance-like state.
0: Every shelter is becoming a trap. Are you sure we're going to be all right? Cooper, Go you got to help me out! And
1: every road out... Don't stop, no matter what happens. ...is just another
0: dead end. They're coming right for us! Ah! George Romero's Night of the Living Dead Night of the Living Dead, the original is one of the first horror movies that I saw. I've talked on, like, the first episode of this podcast was Alien. That was definitely my introduction to the horror genre. But I remember one year for either my birthday or Christmas, my grandmother giving me a VHS copy of the original black and white Night of the Living Dead. And I fell in love with that movie so fast that I never went near this remake uh until you, until you picked it i had not seen this movie because i had such a love of the original that this wasn't even something i wanted to undertake so how do you how do you convince someone other than coming on their podcast and <laughs> picking it as a choice how do you convince someone like me that this is worth their time
1: well i think the best way to do it is a just why it was sort of done. Um, obviously, we all know the whole trademark thing with the original Light Living Dead, where they took off the copyright. So they have made like no money on it. John Russo and Romero and all those guys, um, Russ Steiner, all of them made nothing on it. So the whole idea for this was to put them all in producer roles and give them writing credits and everything. So they would start to see some sort of cashback on this brilliant idea that they created, you know, in the late 60s. I mean, to think that the original is one of the top grossing independent films of all time. And those guys barely have seen a dime off it.
0: Right. And, um, and essentially so. spawned the entire genre. And yeah, I mean, they, they got, yeah. they got nothing for it pretty much.
1: So in that, it's a sort of a loving homage, I would say to the original. And it's very close to the sort of beat by beat storytelling of the original. Uh, but the way I would really sell this, it's very simple. Um, Barbara.
0: Yeah. That was a change I was not expecting.
1: Uh-huh. And they update Barbara. They make her, you know, it starts off where she's sort of the catatonic Barbara that she basically is in the entire original. Right. Um, but then she snaps out of it and she becomes the most capable, smartest person in the entire cast and the entire house.
0: Yeah. Played by and- Patricia Tallman, who I have mentioned mm-hmm. before she came up in the, I think, Roadhouse episode, uh, who I was a huge fan of because of Babylon 5. And, like, I knew she had done stunt work on, like, uh, Army of Darkness and Jurassic Park, I think. But I-, I-, I had never seen her as an actress until Babylon 5, and I became a big fan. So when I saw she was at the lead of this, I was like, well, there- there's one good thing going for it. And, of course, Tony Todd. <laughs>
1: yeah, Tony Todd's great, as has been. Uh, don't be wrong. Of course, you know. Dwayne Jones, it's one of the most iconic sort of roles, especially for a, a black actor in mm-hmm. history. Um, it, it's it's quite phenomenal. I mean, the fact that he slapped a white woman in the movie was a huge deal. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think Tony Todd is very capable and he's great. It's one of the few Tony Todd performances. When you think of Tony Todd, you never think of Tony Todd being sort of emotionally. No. Uh, not necessarily stunned, but emotionally um Sort of vulnerable and having crying scenes and, you know, really sort of compassionate moments.
0: Well, I don't know some of it because I immediately went to that same thought process when I was watching this of like, this is not the Tony Todd that I'm used to. I'm not used to him being emotional. And then I thought, well, some of the monologues that he gives in Candyman actually are an emotional vulnerability. They're just done so from a from a different vantage point.
1: Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. I mean, that is that is very true. The only difference is then he proceeds to rip out someone's fucking spine. You know, <laughs> you know?
0: Dude, we all have our bad days. We all have our That's bad true. days. That's
1: true. That's true. I don't see Ben, though, trying to like burn a baby alive. That's just something I don't see.
0: Yeah. Um, But getting back to your point, yeah, Barbara, um, I mean, you start, you open this movie with the iconic line that everybody knows from the original Night of the Living Dead. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Like, everybody knows that line, so they waste no time. It's, It's their opening line. And I thought, well, that's a pretty smart move. Like, give the people exactly what they want from this opening. And you're right. She becomes, several of the reviews I read talked about her essentially having a mini Sarah Connor arc. Where yeah. she is traumatized by the events unfolding around her, which makes complete sense. But instead of staying in that catatonic state like the original Barbara, she becomes motivated to survive.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And another, you know, I, and I really uh, want to sort of jump to what you said about the opening with the, you know, they're coming to get you, Barbara. Bill Mosley, fantastic. Jesus, I didn't um,
0: realize that was him until later.
1: After I sang his
0: praises on the Devil's Rejects episode.
1: Yep, great. He's great. Uh, But I love the bait and switch they do right in the beginning. To let you know, this is not the exact same movie. To where you see the old man coming up. I mean, the original, that's the zombie. It's the most iconic zombie. And he comes, it's not him. And then out of left, boom, there's this gross looking corpse. Yeah. And it just shows, oh no, this is a makeup heavy movie, but it's also our own version.
0: Yeah, and that was, that first Zombie appearance, really effective, like fake out the audience, but then immediately uh-huh. hammer them with the here it is. Like, I loved that moment of this.
1: Oh, yeah. And then the the head and, crushing scene.
0: And then it's done. The The opening credits aren't even done yet. Like, she's right. running away from the graveyard from the zombies. And the credits continued to roll. And I was like, oh, my God, they paused the credits to get us into the zombies, but they hadn't actually finished them yet. <laughs> mm-hmm,
1: wonderful. Uh, and, and the look of the zombies in this movie are some of, they're some of my favorite on-screen zombies. I can honestly say, well, I will say the, the reason this one sort of uh, still has a real special place for me is this is the first zombie movie I've ever seen. Oh, was it? Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, well, that uh, that first. was going
0: to be my next question: is what is mm-hmm. your history with this movie? Because again, I saw my first zombie movie was the original, um, one of the first horror movies I saw. What's your history with this one?
1: Well, you got to figure I was like seven when this came out. I not like you with the first one, where you're like thirty four or whatever the fuck. <laughs> um, so, so I saw this one. You were the you were the camera operator actually at the theater. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I saw this one probably around eight or nine years old, um, because they used to show it a lot on TV. Um, It was in syndication quite a bit, like on USA and, you know, Mm -hmm. Monster Vision and all those cool shows. Um, And it just scared the living piss out of me, but I was so fascinated by it. Uh, mainly because of the look of the different zombies, like the autopsy zombie in the beginning where his suit pulls down as he's walking. Yeah. Or the real skinny one that comes in through the window and she's shooting him, you know, is, is he dead? Look at him, is he dead? And she's just plugging away at him. The little girl zombie with the teddy bear. It's just, it, it. there's so many iconic looking sort of zombies in this movie that it's another thing that kind of bothers me. It doesn't really get the credit I think it deserves, especially for its makeup effects.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's definitely I mean Tom Savini having having a background in that certainly makes it mm-hmm. um makes it special. And you're right. It it certainly is. I mean, that's having having seen a lot more zombie films at this point in my life, now that I'm in my nineties, apparently, according to you. Um yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy uh, birthday, yeah. by the way. <laughs> <laughs> having seen a lot more zombie movies at this point in my life, you're right. The ones here still very much stand out. like that that autopsy zombie in particular was like, okay, that's something unique. And it really it reminded me of The Walking Dead, which makes sense because you have, you know, sure. Savini's protege doing that. But one of the things I enjoyed about this is what it reminded me about with The Walking Dead was like the first season and the second season of The Walking Dead when all of this stuff was still new to the show and it was still mm-hmm. the characters discovering the world and them doing some really cool stuff with the zombies there. That, that kind of was the same feel That I had watching this movie of it's about these characters discovering what this world is and also encountering some really horrific shit that we haven't seen before.
1: Oh, right. Absolutely. I mean, how many before this or even since I can't think of a zombie that gets hit by a truck. And his spine is completely twisted around and it's still alive, crawling, trying to crawl towards the house.
0: Yeah, that was a cool moment, too. (laughs) It's awesome.
1: It's great. And then it gives Ben the real big pathos moment where he goes out and stabs in the head at the crowbar and, you know, screams at God, basically. The thing is, this gives every character a little bit more. Some, I would say, maybe not as effective. I love Tom Toll's. Don't be wrong. But fuck, do I get tired of Cooper in this movie?
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's hold off on that. Let me go ahead and go to the critical yeah, side sure. of things because you've already brought up a couple of things that I do want to, to circle back to. The movie sits at 66% at Rotten Tomatoes, which is a little lower than yeah. I expected given the, the kind of the pedigree of this film. Uh, a 68% audience score. It only sits at 54% at Metacritic. And it, it's not an incredibly well-reviewed movie. Of the few professional reviews that are at Rotten Tomatoes, like most of them were negative so i had to kind of look around um the positive review comes from almar heflitzen of the bbc and he writes zombie films always suffer in critical terms but what this boils down to just as the original does is a classic siege situation tempers fray fear builds the final standoff looms and this movie exploits the form well with some real tension building among some fine shock moments some purists will not condone this remake but there's little denying that this is a better horror film than most made in the 1990s.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I can, eh, there was a lot of gems in the nineties. <laughs> I'd, I'd argue it's, you know, it's probably one of the best zombie films of the nineties, if not the best zombie film of the nineties. Um, and, you know, I get the critical, the critical contention boils down to a simple thing, man. It's a remake of a classic, right? You know, everybody wants it to stay. And you said it best right in the opening. It, it's hard to please anybody with a remake because, you get a lot of people like it's just it's just the original movie over again like why the fuck even do it or they change so much why would they do that and i'd argue this one kind of sits right in the middle there yeah where they changed the things that needed to be updated but they still keep the original like sort of source material intact
0: well, and one of the things that pisses me off with that response, kind of kind of a tangent here, especially because I mentioned Babylon 5 a minute ago and 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 that's been in the news lately because the the head the, the creator of Babylon 5 is doing a new version of the show, which will essentially be a ground-up reboot. And and so I'm seeing a lot of these complaints in Babylon 5 communities, but the thing that pisses me off about those responses is a remake doesn't make the original go away. Like At all. they talk about it as like if this had been a bomb of a movie that doesn't mean that the original night of the living dead is suddenly a bomb of a movie it's still there go enjoy that so if this doesn't change enough go watch that if this changes too much go watch that why why i don't understand that response that it's like the original doesn't exist anymore
1: i agree and you know the best thing and for some reason To me, there's one franchise where that has never that sort of mentality that follows all their franchises and reboots and remakes and, you know, reimaginings. It's never touched for some reason. And that's Star Trek, like ever.
0: Well, I I definitely saw some complaints about uh, J.J. Abrams and the lens flares and that kind of stuff.
1: Well, no, I'm even talking the series.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. Where
1: you go from the original to the next generation, and there are a lot of people who think the next generation is far superior. Right. But then you had, you know, Deep Space Nine, which was beloved. You had Voyager, which was beloved. It, it's, it had its fans. It's doing better <laughs> than, it, it's done better than you know the newer ones that have come out. Yes. But still, it, it's people still want that material. They want that world. They want those stories. Um, and like I said, for some reason, it seems almost exclusive. Now, the thing is not to go on a tangent about another movie, but you brought up the J.J. Abrams thing. And the, to me, the J.J. Abrams thing is a perfect sort of reboot the way he did it to where he made the plot device. The reason the franchise, the story was rebooted. Exactly. And that's incredibly intelligent to do. I think
0: I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. All right. Back to this. Let's go with the negative review. Um, which I really had to kind of wade through a couple. I I did not use Roger Ebert. He did write a negative review about this, but for the first time, for the first time, I did not think it was a well-written review.
1: Oh, big shocker. Roger Ebert didn't like a horror movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: So our negative review comes from Richard Harrington of the Washington Post, who writes, one of the striking things about the original was Romero's use of a black actor, the late Dwayne Jones, in the hero's role, more specifically his use of a black actor without any reference to color. Ben then and now, is simply smart, resourceful, and confident, a leader who manages to stay cool even when those around him are falling apart. This time around, the role of Barbara is slightly upgraded, as is her armament, perhaps a reflection of the feminist revolution between films. The trouble with Harry remains the same. He's a pompous jerk whose survival instinct overrides any sense of community." What little depth the film has revolves around the relationship among these three, but much of the action involves all of the living screaming at and fighting with each other while the hungry dead silently stumbled toward dinner.
1: Okay. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> now, here's here's my problem with that review. Now, like okay. I said, you know, Dwayne Jones is the black actor and they do that here and then they upgrade Barbara. Oh, that's great. And then all they're doing is yelling at each other, blah, blah, blah. That's all they did in the original too, man. Ben and Ben and fucking Harry were constantly fighting. He was constantly fighting with Ben. He was constantly yelling at his wife. The, the fucking, the two young kids were constantly arguing with each other. It, it, the thing is, that, that's what I'm talking about. Like, what do you, what do you want them? Like, what do you want? Do you want them all to be happy and like get along and work together? Cause that's unrealistic.
0: Yeah. Well, and I and I felt like I mean that's that's the, just to kind of go ahead and, and and dive into it. I felt like one of the things that impressed me the most about the original was mm-hmm. the horror element of surviving through the zombie siege, and then Ben getting taken out by a group of rednecks. Mm-hmm. And to me, it was a, a not only was it a a very effective zombie movie, but it was a a statement on race. You know, sure. And, and yes, they don't in the original make a big deal about him being black, but he is shot by a bunch of white guys. You know, that that to me is a yeah. statement. Here, they do actually address the fact that he's black, because that's one of the points that he and Harry argue about. You know, there is that's, kind of a that racial divide between uh, Cooper and and Ben, and, and th- I don't remember that being in the original. Admittedly, it's been years since I've seen the original, but...
1: I mean, there might have been a throwaway line and stuff, but I don't remember it being a major focal point at all.
0: Right. Um, but,
1: but as far as this one goes, and that's, that was one of my things that I talked about with, as far as with Cooper. I think they used it just to make Cooper more despicable, which right. I understand as a, as a sort of a storytelling tool. But that's one of my big problems with the movie right there. I, it wasn't necessary to do.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I was writing in my, you know, take notes as I watched the movie and I wrote down Cooper is exactly the kind of piece of shit that would slap his wife. You know, I mean, it's like, yes. we, we don't need the racial thing. We already have him as a despicable person.
1: <laughs> right. I agree. I agree. But, you know, if, yeah, I no, I definitely agree with you on that. And the thing is, um, it, it, this, as far as the, the comment about, you know, the sort of the feminist movement and everything and the barber coming up, maybe that does have a lot to do with it. Sure. But I also think this came out right at the time. I mean, you had Alien do it with, you know, Ripley. You had the Halloween movies doing it with Jamie Lee Curtis, the whole final girl movement. Right. It, it's just, it was a thing. T- it's a smart, well, because it's still not common now, is it, to where you get the strong female leads? And it's still not a big, huge thing. I mean, it's more common nowadays than it was then, yes. for sure. But to me, it was another way of doing, trying to maybe not necessarily cause the same controversy, but be more politically if you want to call it and I played it direct, but as the kids would call it, Rafe uh, woke nowadays
0: and, and horror franchises, a lot of the ones like you're referring to, a lot of them have only done that over time. I mean, right. like you look at Terminator, you know I ma- I mentioned Sarah Connor, you look at Terminator, she's a wreck at the end of Terminator One. It isn't until Terminator Two we get that evolution of her character, which doesn't come for a couple of years until you know it, it, after right. this.
1: Well, anybody having Edward Furlong as a son, he probably. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> it probably to Had to get that in there, did you? Yeah, you know, right, um, um, Jamie Lee Curtis in the Halloween movies. It isn't until she's appeared as an older actress in those movies that we feel That's like true. that character is empowered. It, it's not those, those icons of the genre have only become icons over time and allowing their characters to develop. Whereas Barbara kind of gets all of that in one package as opposed to some of those others.
1: Well, no, I definitely agree with you. I think she's in a class of her like not necessarily of her own but there's there's a few sort of standouts i can think like i said with ripley of course um you got barbara and then i would argue that jenny Steele in friday Two is uh jenny or amy 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 Steele. i don't know what the fuck her name is but <laughs> amy Steele in the second one is jenny she's pretty much capable and a badass right off the bat and i'd argue nancy in the first nightmare yeah she goes at she takes freddy on head on you know by herself but
0: she's traumatized by the end of the movie it isn't until we see her in dream warriors that she's like oh she is capable she has she has recovered from this
1: barbara's kind of fucked up at the end of this movie uh yeah (laughs) (laughs) she's fucked up man she's sitting there laughing and shit and like going crazy yeah she's lost she's lost it i mean it's realistic though anybody would
0: yeah Well, yeah yeah i mean it's and it's there, there was actually supposed to be, kind of going back to something you mentioned at the beginning, there was the, the scene where she is shooting the zombie in the doorway and asking, is he dead yet? Mm-hmm. Is he dead yet? Is he dead yet? Apparently, the original intention for that scene was that the zombie was supposed to be her mom. Like, yes. she was having, like, a hallucination of shooting her mom, and her mom would then turn to her and ask how Johnny was. Uh, yeah, I remember I, hearing that. Yeah, and when yeah. I read about that, I was like, that's actually, that would go with her traumatized mind really well.
1: <laughs> I agree, but I also think it would almost be a, a disservice to the character to where she's only this capable now because she's losing it.
0: Mm, that's a good point. You know,
1: it's not survival instincts at that point, if that happens, is because she's crazy.
0: Well, and and I, I, I have to say I was a little... I, I guess disappointed because you spend the whole movie. You, you, we know as uh, experienced zombie connoisseurs that, you know, people who die during a zombie thing come back as zombies. So I was spending the entire movie waiting for Johnny to show back up. And sure. and we get that moment. Like they didn't deprive the audience of that, but it was done in a very unexpected way that I feel like almost deprived her of the opportunity to work with that trauma or to be further traumatized.
1: Uh, sure, but that, I mean, that's I mean that's what they did in the original too. He just shows up in the door, right? She's sees his gloved hand, and then that's basically it, you know. It, it, but I agree. I think there should have been sort of maybe that, um, for lack of a better term, hero moment with her and Johnny. Which yeah, where closure even a closure moment
0: right and, and yeah and i mean come yeah. finding his body in the truck i mean he yes he turned but he's already been taken care of she didn't get she right. there was no agency for her in that and that's yeah closure would have been a nicer thing than what we got i think
1: i agree i can agree with that for sure
0: but that's not to say i mean this i i as i said i i have a very special place in my heart for the original mm-hmm. um you know i mean i have a, a history with the original I, I i love some of what i feel like was social commentary of the original Uh, but I, I enjoyed this. This was this, you're right. I mean, some of the zombie designs were really uh, amazing. Uh, Mm -hmm. some of the, I I think some of the updating what they do with Barbara, um, we'll get to the end of the movie in a little while, but some of the, the changes they made, I was very surprised by, I'm not saying disappointed, but, um, Uh, I, I, I enjoyed this. This, this, I feel like this is a solid remake because it does pay so much tribute to the original and yet it is kind of its own thing, but at the same time, it's also from Romero.
1: Right. And John Russo, you know, specifically, um, I actually had the pleasure of meeting John Russo at a convention and. Nobody was at his fucking table for some reason. I'm like, Dude, really? John Russo. Yeah, nobody. So I got to, I sat and I talked to him for just a couple minutes, you know, and he was a really nice guy. I got like the original Night Nightly Dead poster signed by him. And he's like, oh, nobody's coming. Pick out another one. So I picked out a poster for the remake and he signed that as well. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. And he was a really good guy. And the thing is, he was he kind of started telling me about, you know, how they were hoping that this one would lead them into being able to do. Uh, more, but not necessarily remakes of the, the previous ones, but that they were hoping to spin off The Living Dead or, you know, The Dead sort of acronym to uh, make more zombie movies and really have a resurgence for them. And it just critically failed.
0: And yet Romero does go on to do that for for a number of years after this. And one.
1: they critically fail. <laughs> 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 Holy shit.
0: Yeah, I've heard you guys talk about some of them on your show. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah, um, I I got to see Romero uh, at a convention once, and I'll I'll share that story for a little later in the show because it'll it'll come up sure. again. But yeah, he, he was he was a fascinating person to see to see speak. This week on Myopia, defend your childhood.
1: Myopia Defender Childhood is so named because I believe we are short-sighted on the things we watched as kids. So every week we watch a movie that one of the panelists grew up watching and see if they hold up from comedy to cartoons or to action. And for this season, the last Thursday of each month, we're doing a TV show in our Myopia Mornings segments. We watch Saturday morning cartoons and afternoon classics. So find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: How will you stand when we put your past on trial? Life you in Your Childhood is a member of the ESO Network and produced by Dude Letter Podcasting. One of the things I like that this movie does, uh, and, and I think. I, again, I think it was remade now, it would not do this same thing, but it starts to explain where the zombies come from and then keeps pulling back. And it's like, nope, nobody knows. These, especially, right. especially not a small group of survivors in the middle of the freaking woods, 200 miles away from any city, you know, they're not going to know what caused this. And I love that.
1: Oh, me too. Absolutely. Uh, because, you know, it just isolates them even more. Yeah, because it, 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 they literally have no answers, no reasoning, no idea why this is happening. They just know that people who are dying are coming to try to kill them. That's all they know.
0: Right. And that's uh, it, Tony Todd was such a brilliant choice for that role because there's a lot on Ben. Not only does he have to be charismatic, not only does he have to be a leader, not only does he have to be a strong character, uh, despite skin color or anything. He has to be all of those things, but I realized there is so much that he, uh, you know, so much exposition that he has to relay through telling, not showing. And I'm assuming that that was due to budget constraints that they didn't show sure. like his previous encounter. But he relays so much information as they are uh, assessing the house, as he's building a fire, as they're mm-hmm. checking out stuff. There's there's so much information we get about this world just through Tony Todd's monologues and he nails them so well. Like he makes you feel empathy for his situation and yet you realize that this is a survivor.
1: Yeah, I was watching a um, sort of documentary about this movie and they were it was Tom Savinion and he's like, we had a couple... You know, I'll save them in case they come up in your little fucking quiz at the end. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, we had a couple big actors in the, in the mind for Ben. He's like, and we read quite a few guys that, you know, went on to become really famous. He's like, and then Tony Todd came in and I hadn't, don't, didn't really know of him or anything. And he took the script and he's like, he went out of the hallway for five minutes, came back in, knew the whole script and started crying on command. He's Mm. like, so he was like, okay, I guess that's my guy. That's (laughs) how I got the role. And he's like, and it also doesn't help that you know, for some reason, even though they don't really look alike, but they both kind of have the same presence about him, him and Dwayne
0: Jones. Yes, yeah, I that, that, that they carry themselves in the same way. I totally agree mm-hmm. with that. Yeah, that it's. I don't know
1: if it's the voice or the inflections or just the body language, but they are remarkably similar.
0: I was going to go with the body language, just the stance and and the position, the way they they they, they hold themselves when they're standing and that kind of stuff. Um, I, I, I think Dwayne Jones's character was a little calmer, especially towards Cooper. Um, but this Cooper is such a raging asshole that I, oh, I wouldn't be ridiculous. able to remain cool towards him either. You know,
1: bunch of yahoos. But yeah, he's fucking asshole.
0: Well, and the, and the fact the fact that the the family the the, the Cooper and Helen and Ted and uh, Judy Rose they've all been hiding in the basement this entire time. Like she came to the house and had the altercation with the zombie the 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 one that comes over the edge of the. Um, yeah. um Bannister and you know then Ben shows up and they they defend the place and and all this time they've been in the basement it's like just from that alone you guys suck you know Oh no he sucks
1: it's Cooper he sucks I get the two kids the I mean they're younger kids it was the one kid's uncle's house so you know he's probably fucking scarred from that alone uh but then it's like you got to figure they're down in the basement there's this guy in a suit He's probably taken command. He's the oldest one there and everything. Right. And so they're like just through maybe necessity or survival instinct or whatever. You follow the guy who's, unfortunately, it happens all the time, who's got either the most authority about him or the most charisma at the time, or seems like they know what's going on or have a concrete plan, whether it's a shitty plan or not, <laughs> he's got a plan.
0: Yeah, because let's be honest, hiding in the basement is a shitty plan.
1: (laughs) It's a terrible plan, dude. It's a terrible plan. Go up the stairs and destroy the staircase.
0: Yeah. There's an idea. You You live. (laughs) Well, and, and one of the reviews does bring up Barbara's plan. That it's like the first time in a zombie movie where somebody goes, you know they're slow. We probably could just outrun them and they're awkward. So we probably could run around them if need be. Uh And why don't we just do that? And when I was watching the movie, I wrote down that that probably is even an even worse plan than hiding in the basement. But the more I thought about it it was like, eh, no, these are these kinds of zombies that are not just, they're not only slow, but they're awkward and they're not like powerhouse strong. Like some zombies are represented. Her plan actually probably was the best plan.
1: They show it working yeah and she's out there with the gun and she's just pointing it in their faces she's not shooting and she's just walking briskly by them and then the little girl one comes and she's just gently shoving it away yeah like she's just pushing it and it, it could have worked they could have just you know but therein lies sort of the who's the real sort of monster in these sort of movies and especially zombie things yeah it's the people it's the it's the planning it's the temperaments it's the ego, it's all that stuff. That's what ultimately damns these characters.
0: Well, and that's—and that, that came up in, in last week's movie conversation as well, that that happens a lot in these horror movies where th- that's almost to me a part of horror movies is revealing the horror within that, you know, it may be you know, Freddy Krueger, it may be, you know, uh, a, an alien from outer space, whatever. But the the monster also comes in the way that our protagonists respond to that and the, the depths that they will then go to for survival or overpowering the enemy.
1: Right. And it reminds me of a, I'm going to loosely quote it because I, I don't know it verbatim, but it was John, I saw an interview with John Carpenter And he was talking about, he's like, I look at movies when I make them, that there are two monsters that exist in the world. He's like, picture a shaman sitting around a campfire and telling you a story about the monsters out in the forest that you can't see and that you know are there, but you can't see them and it's scary. He's like, or the shaman telling you there's a scary monster, it's within you. Right. He's like, what is ultimately the scariest one? He's like, they're both terrifying for different reasons. He's like, the art of storytelling and horror storytelling is to be able to make both of those versions palpable and threatening and scary.
0: And that's a really good point. And, and one of the things kind of going back to the transformation of Barbara here is she's the one who calls it out. She's the one who even points it some, somewhat out to the audience. You know, when Ben mm-hmm. and Cooper are just fighting and fighting, she even tells them, stop screaming at each other like two-year-olds. Right. And they And they not only don't listen, but five minutes later, they bust the TV, which was kind of their link to the outside world.
1: I know. I know. I know. Because they're fucking, they're just temperamental ego. It's all ego at that point. It's all ego. Like, you look into it, look at it from Ben's perspective. There's this fucking guy who is not an out-and-out, but a racist. Like, he's racist. Right. It's all under the surface level racism the whole time. And you got Ben, who's just fucking doesn't want to deal with that shit anymore. So he's putting him in his fucking place the whole time. Like, dude, you were hiding in the basement. I'm the one up here making decisions. I'm the one up here who's fighting them and keeping them away and blah, blah, blah. I'm tired of your shit. And Cooper's like, I got a fucking kid and a wife. I'm hiding in the fucking basement. I'm not fighting these things. Right. So it's just ego, 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 constantly conflicting. And like you said, Barbara's the one in the middle who's like, shut the fuck up. We're not going to survive, period, if we cannot
0: work together. Well, and and that exactly, as she points out, that ends up becoming their undoing. Is, you know, uh-huh. they don't – almost almost none of our primary characters get killed by the zombies in this movie.
1: Uh, correct. Uh, technically, it would be, what, Helen and Ben.
0: Yeah. Well, not even Ben. Ben – Well, yeah,
1: ben, he, he technically – oh, no, he doesn't. No, he dies. Right? No, right, he right, – right,
0: right. yeah, I mean, he dies from the gunshot. That, that Cooper and, and Ben basically shoot each other, and then um, – well, I mean, I guess Cooper dies – from, no, 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 no. Cooper doesn't. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, um, yeah. Helen is basically the only one who dies of a zombie bite or a zombie attack that, that Ben and, and, and Cooper shoot each other and Ben bleeds out from that and then transforms. And that, that blew my mind because as I, as I said, you know, 20 minutes ago, Ben being the lone survivor at the end of the the original stays with me. Like that's something I've carried through all of watching movies is is that moment. So when Barbara goes back to the house and Ben appears and he's a zombie, I was like, what the fuck is going on here?
1: <laughs> right. Um, now, it was it a good surprise or in hindsight, you're like, I kind of wish they wouldn't have done it this way.
0: Well, and, and now here, here's the, the thing I loved about this, though, because the, the whole thing I loved about Ben surviving in the original and then getting shot because he doesn't survive is the Not racial right. commentary that's going on. And we still get that in this movie. Yeah, we do. Because Ben dies. He's a zombie. But then when Barbara goes outside of the house, they are stringing up zombies in the tree. Yep. And that felt like exactly what they would have been doing to black people. and. He- Given, especially gets, given the quality of the crowd oh, that's sure. doing it, that oh, yeah, that yeah, yeah, felt yeah. like there's the social commentary right there. You know, we've still got it. It's just in a different form because this is a remake. It's not – it doesn't have to be the exact same thing.
1: And also Ben still dies because of racism. Right. Yeah.
0: Because of Cooper. It still happens
1: that way because of Cooper. And he still gets shot by a couple hillbillies and everything. Like it's still there. It's just a different way of telling it.
0: Yeah. And, and Cooper's downfall in this movie is so satisfying,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, I mean, it, it kind of spoil the ending there folks, but Ben dies, <laughs> Ben yep. becomes a zombie and Cooper survives. Yeah. He comes out of the attic, comes yep. out of the attic and Barbara just kills him in cold blood. Good. Fuck him. Yeah. Fuck him. And it, yeah. And it's like, there's a legacy of that character, that that character in the zombie movie who you as the audience member want to see die. I talked about it when we covered Day of the Dead, because you certainly Uh have it in that movie. Um, It's the um, uh, now I suddenly can't remember the actor's name from uh, Modern Family, but the, the one in the remake of Dawn of the Dead. Every single one of these has that character that you as the audience yeah. member are ready to see die and the writers oh, Ty burrell, Ty burrell, Ty burrell thank you yeah. the, you go, yeah, the yeah. writers very wisely keep alive because uh-huh. even if you are at that point rooting for the zombies it's engaging you in the story
1: yeah 100 percent and i I love the whole you came back you promised and you actually came back and then boom shoots his ass good yeah. fuck him
0: yeah because he wouldn't good. have come back he, he even if he had promised he wouldn't have come back. Uh-huh.
1: No, man, he wanted to get that truck to get the fuck out like he was he was done. Yeah, I agree. Uh, And, you know, like I said, when when Barbara does come back to the house, she ultimately gets away. She gets picked up by those crazy hillbillies and uh, she comes back and she is changed again. Right. You know, she goes from comatose to survivor to borderline crazy.
0: Yeah, they're us. We're Mm -hmm. them and they're us. And, yep. and, and that's, again, that, that, that is where I saw that, that racial commentary again was, you know, her recognizing that the distinction between the monsters that they were being and the monsters that the zombies are is not that different. At all. At all. And, and at least the zombies have an excuse.
1: <laughs> right. They have no choice. They're mindless. Uh, these guys are in the same way getting fulfillment out of killing them. Yeah, munching them up or holding fight pens with them and drinking beers. And-
0: yeah, it's not survival for them. It's entertainment.
1: Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: And again, absolutely. The, the fighting in the ring with one of them fighting a zombie in the ring. It's like, yeah, that's the laying the foundation for The Walking Dead. Like they do that in The Walking Dead in like season two or season three.
1: 100%. 100%. You know,
0: um, so it's and, and I guess that's one of the things, you know, it's it's funny to me to go watch these older zombie movies and see. The connections to The Walking Dead, and realize just how much uh, they pulled upon the existing mythology of zombies and, and movies that I hadn't seen yet. And it's like, oh, there's there's where they got that idea. And it's not it's not stealing it, it because no. I, I, they make it their own and they use it for good purpose. But it really solidifies to me how how solidly thought out and how honored the zombie genre is by The Walking Dead, especially oh, sure. those yeah, first I- couple of seasons.
1: And I'd argue that's why it's so successful.
0: Oh yeah, oh, yeah. That you know yeah.
1: they they didn't reinvent the wheel. They just they polished it up a little bit.
0: Yeah, they collected a lot of little wheels and pol- no, the you're metaphor right. falls <laughs> apart <laughs> at that point. <laughs> you're
1: right. Yeah, yeah. Once you get to like season six, you're like, that's
0: all the uh, I have not watched the latest, the the most recent season uh, released on Netflix. It.
1: I haven't watched it past the first season with the governor, and I'm like, I'm good.
0: This the this, this, the the season. The governor was season three.
1: Ah, uh, it's three or four. Yeah, it was right after the prison, so yeah. everyone was the prison.
0: Yeah, so. that that was a good point to to leave the show. To be honest with you, I yeah, I I'm kept with it. it, but that was a good point. <laughs> okay, so the other iconic moment, of course, for me as a young person, mm-hmm. or, or sorry, in, in my thirties, watching this uh, on late VHS, 30s. late thirties, late thirties, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, the the of course Ben's survival and then and then death, but of course the the child. In the basement. Yes. yes. Now, again, it's been a while since I've seen the original. Isn't the child in the original younger than her iteration here?
1: Uh, yeah, probably. Probably by a couple years, sure. Uh, I, I'd say that's fair. I, I would say this one is probably, what, pre-teen? Yeah. Probably. And then the other one's probably like seven, yeah. seven or eight. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. Uh, one thing, though, that, you know, it is the most iconic problem. I mean, just the image of the child is, you know, the picture for Night of the Living Dead for the most part. Uh, But I will say I really do like that they didn't use the trowel. Yeah. um, That she... Actually, was just a zombie. you went to bite her mom. But then they give you the really cool sort of homage. The, buds, the blood splatter? the blood spray on the troll. Yes! yes.
0: Yeah, I loved that. I loved that. Yeah, I, and again, it's kind of like the they're coming to get you, Barbara. It's such an iconic mm-hmm. part of the movie it, that the audience, anybody who's familiar with the original, knows it's coming. And yet, I think they did a fantastic job with still drawing it out and teasing that it's coming. And then once the execution comes, bam, it's there. Like, I, I thought it was really well done.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. Like I said, I, I think it's clearly the people, clearly the people who made this movie, being Tom Savini and everything. Uh, and I'm not counting Russo and Steiner and, and Romero. Of course, they love the original movie too. But <laughs> the guys who sort of took this up and, and made this version really showed that this movie made an impact on them and how much they love it, how much they love the guys who made it, and how important it is to them this film be the original alone. Yeah, I mean to. This whole generation of guys, so the makeup effects guys, Tom Savini, Greg Nicotero, Tom Woodruff Jr., all these guys, it was Night of the Living Dead. like oh, that sure. got them wanting to do this stuff. Oh, sure. You know, Tom Savini was actually supposed to do the effects for Night of the Living Dead, the original.
0: Oh, really? Um,
1: but he wasn't able to because he had to leave for Vietnam.
0: Oh, see, I didn't know that. I learned something uh-huh. today. That's yeah, why we listen to. to this podcast, folks, to learn things from people like Adam.
1: Yeah, Yeah, Wraith is fucking old.
0: (laughs) So one of the moments I I found really interesting, because I I don't remember it really being touched on in many zombie films or or stories that I've seen, is towards the end of the movie where we see the zombies eating earthworms and rats Uh and such. Uh Is this something I've missed in other zombie movies or was this kind of new territory here?
1: I mean, it's been done a lot of times in sort of the um, Italian zombie movies. Okay. There's a lot more of the animal eating and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, I e. zombie. He fights a fucking shark for God's sakes. You know, <laughs> there, there's a shark for zombie. Um, but yeah, this is one of the first ones that I can remember too, to where, especially with like the little mouse. Yes. Where the one gets it and the other one tries to fight him for it. Like, yeah, I don't remember that a lot. And I think it's super fucking smart. It's like almost an untapped thing at this time. Like, of course, they would want to eat the animals and everything, too. It's living flesh.
0: Right. Yeah. I just I found that an interesting moment that I'm not used to from zombie films. So I thought, hey, there's an original thought in here.
1: Oh, and another really quick little tidbit. The um, autopsy zombie from the beginning. Yes. Yes was the movement coach for all of the zombies in this film.
0: <laughs> well,
1: and that's why he's as good as he is. He yeah, that fucking autopsy zombie. He's terrified.
0: Yeah, the clothes coming off of him and so, yeah, Ugh. it was that was something else. All right, what have we not mentioned about Night of the Living Dead that you want to make sure we get in?
1: Well, like I said, I mean, we've mentioned it a lot, but I just think it's such a sort of it, it almost Borderline's important to how they change the character of Barbara. Yeah. Um, because this is the character you're supposed to ultimately follow. You follow her from the very beginning. And like I said, in the first one, no disrespect to the first movie or even the actress or anything. Uh, it's just she's catatonic the entire movie. Yeah. She sits on the couch and she basically whimpers or repeats herself quietly to herself and things like that. Where this one just shows base, basic, like, snap into survival mode fight or flight mode and it's like i said it's realistic for the most part i would think i mean if you're strong of will then you find ways to survive you've you got to make it and uh she certainly does she keeps her head on a fucking swivel and that's what you got to do when you find yourself in the middle of a vicious cockfight. fight but um <laughs> <laughs> but no she uh she she kicks ass man and she's a she's really relatable to i think everybody be it male or female and i think it's also important that it is a female character yes. that sort of takes charge um like i said they did it with ben with the the sort of black male character in the original and this one they do with a white female and, and you know white females oh, christ but she uh she uh but it's important that it is a female character, man, and that she sort of shows these boys with their ego. Like, look, we're not going to make it if we do. We don't even know what the fuck is happening here. Why are we fighting with each other? Right.
0: And if and if they had just listened to her, more people would have survived 100%. this movie.
1: Potentially all of them. Yeah. Potentially.
0: Potentially. Potentially. Maybe, well, definitely
1: not the little girl. But.
0: If they had listened to her early in the film. Yeah, we probably wouldn't have uh, even lost uh, Ted and uh, Judy Rose. Judy Judy Rose, Rose. right? What kind of a name is Judy Rose? All right, man. (laughs) Uh, All right, before we go, got a couple of little games here. First up, as the algorithm says, this is a list of movies that various algorithms say you will like because you like the 1990 Night of the Living Dead. So this is like a lightning round of your responses. What do you think of these movies? Do you like them? Do you not like them? Do you not see how they're connected? Pretty much how how they're connected is pretty obvious. I
1: got it. I got it. I know your damn rules.
0: I know. I know. But there's always a first time listener. You know, your mom's listening for this one for a change, you know? Uh, I mean,
1: yeah, it's because of your sultry tones, reminds her of like fucking, you know, Casey Kasem. <laughs>
0: <God>. <laughs> All right, here we go. First up, Day of the Dead.
1: I mean, of course, right? If you like zombie carnage, then yeah, absolutely. Day of the Dead is my all-time favorite
0: zombie. Is it really? Okay,
1: a hundred percent. I, I 100%.
0: kept it. I kept it on because we've already done an episode of Day and the Dead, but I actually think I like this one more.
1: Oh, nice. Well, this is my second favorite, so. But by a hair, I mean, honestly, they're so close for me. Okay. Oh, by the way, remake to to avoid, Day of the Dead remake.
0: Oh, yeah, I've heard that.
1: With Nick Cannon. Holy fuck. (laughs)
0: All right, The Return of the Living Dead.
1: (laughs) I mean, sure. Uh, You know, it came out, what, two years before this uh it, It's fun. It's crazy. It's kinetic. It, it's more of a. I mean, obviously, it's a horror comedy. Right. I would say, but it, it's still. If you love zombie movies, I, you're hard pressed to find somebody who thinks Return of the Dead sucks. Sequels, okay, but the original still really fun.
0: I have not seen any of those, so that's. that's... Oh, you
1: should see the first one. I think you'd really enjoy the first one.
0: Okay, Dawn of the Dead, two thousand four. <laughs>
1: yeah 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 Uh, yeah i agree uh in the fact that it's a remake of romero um and it's does something new uh and changes the things maybe not that needed to be changed but i'd argue the things it does change really change the zombie genre again as a whole with dawn of the dead
0: uh when i saw romero at the con it was after this movie had come out and somebody asked Uh him about it and he said he actually enjoyed it but the zombies just moved too fucking fast
1: I mean, I agree. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm never, but I'm not one of those who's like, you know, zombies can't be fast. There can't be zombies. So
0: gets shipped. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, you, you played that same card the last time we had but a film it's discussion. True. <laughs> it's totally true. Okay. It's
1: like, you know, not to go off on a tangent, but the stuff that came out about uh, fucking Superman's son being bisexual. Right. He's an alien whose powers change based on rock colors. Who gives a shit who well, is it, stooping?
0: And, and that was the argument you brought up last time you came on when I was like, oh, time travel rules. And you were like, you're watching a story with time travel, which isn't real. Just suck it up. And I was like, okay, that I actually can't defend against that.
1: So, <laughs> but it's true. You just got to go with the version that they're telling you.
0: All right. Evil Dead 2.
1: Um, I mean, I love Evil Dead 2 quite a bit. But I wouldn't really connect those this to the Night Living Dead remake. Here's Dead why was... I
0: think it's on this list. There is this common myth that I even had up until last year when I finally watched Evil Dead 2. There's this common myth that Evil Dead 2 is pretty much a remake of Evil Dead 1. Oh,
1: right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Uh, It is not.
0: It is not, yeah. Um,
1: It's more of a sequel slash interior reboot.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but it's not a remake at all.
0: No. All right. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 2003.
1: I mean, absolutely. If you're looking for stellar horror remakes, I, I'd be hard pressed to recommend a better one, especially one that's remade from the big franchises. Text Chainsaw Massacre two thousand three is fucking beautiful to look at. It's brutal. Yes. And it has one of the best modern villain performances in Arlie Emery. Yes. I,
0: oh yeah. Yeah, I, I the, the the word brutal is the word that comes to mind the most often when thinking about that movie. That it is just yeah, it's Whew. Okay. Friday the 13th, 2009. Baby. Uh, yeah, 100%, man.
1: I, like I said, I love that fucking movie. That movie got a lot of, you know, sort of malignment, too, from fans because uh, they didn't like it's simple stuff that Jason ran or he had an underground series of tunnels and stuff like what the fuck you think he's been doing out there for 20 years? <laughs> like, why can't he have this shit? And plus, why can't he run? He's not the zombie Jason. If you watch the originals, he doesn't start doing the slow lumbering stuff until after he's killed like five times.
0: <laughs> right. In part two, three, and four, he runs. See, I've never seen a Jason movie except Jason versus Freddy. That's the only one I've ever seen. What the fuck? I grew up on Freddy. <laughs> I didn't grow up on Jason.
1: Uh, that's fair. All right.
0: <laughs> uh, Halloween three season of the witch. I
1: wh- how like, <laughs> all right, <laughs> no, I mean, I love Halloween three season, which I think, obviously, I'm going to take the standard. If it wasn't called Halloween three, it would have been much more successful or maybe had more sort of fondly remembered. But it is in no way related to Night Living Dead, the original or the remake.
0: Okay. Fright Night 2011.
1: I, I, well, that's in there because it's a remake. Right. Okay. Uh, that's That one's not terrible. I think there's actually some pretty fun shit in it. It's a good cast. Uh, You know, Anton Yelchin, who's always good, who I know is on your.
0: We just talked about him. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Colin Farrell's really believable sort of the sexy neighbor vampire next door. Uh, It just relies too heavy
0: on CGI at the end. Okay. Halloween 2007.
1: The Rob Zombie one?
0: Yeah. Again, just because it's a remake. Yep. Uh, You know,
1: that's one. No, no. I mean, I don't think it's the worst Rob Zombie film, but it ain't exactly the best either.
0: And yeah, but as a, I, I hated it as a remake. I, I hated. Yeah, I hated well, justifying Michael Myers' behavior.
1: A, a thousand percent. It does that shit that movies, for some fucking reason, feel the need to do. Watch Solo or Skyfall. Yep. Or these things where they have to give these characters a backstory. I don't need to know. Yep. Exactly.
0: All right. One that's not a remake. Finally, Pontypool.
1: Oh man, I love Pontypool. <laughs> Dude. I see. Have you seen Pontypool? I have not. Oh dude, it's it's such an original take on the zombie virus, man, where okay. people become mindless killers through language. Oh, certain words trigger them and stuff and they become crazy. Ooh. and you see it happening where people all of a sudden start repeating the same words and shit over and over and over. And it's, it's pretty good, man. It's really isolated too. It takes place in a radio station.
0: Okay. That's going on my list. Got to see that. solid,
1: solid movie. We reviewed it on my show actually. And
0: uh, that may be where I've heard about it then. Cause I knew yeah. i had heard about it. So, mm-hmm. all right. We always end with a pop quiz for multiple choice questions based on the movie. Are you ready? Uh, we'll see. Okay. I'm usually
1: four for four, but we'll see.
0: All right. Number one. The car featured during the opening credits, a Mercedes driven by Johnny, held a special place for the production. Why was it so special? A it was Tom Savini's car. It was Tom Savini's car. Oh yeah, I gotta car. wait. I forgot. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's all good. Wait. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, it was Tom Savini's car. Yeah, absolutely. Uh yeah. Okay. Number two. Tony Todd was not the only notable actor. It's like you fucking knew what questions I was going to ask. <laughs> Tony Todd was not the only notable actor who auditioned for the role of Ben and then went on to become a bigger name. Which of the following actors was not considered for the role? A. Lawrence Fishburne. B. Eric LaSalle. C. Ving Rames Or D. Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. Yeah, Morgan Freeman was not considered. Uh, I love the idea that Ving Rames was considered for it, especially because he goes on to be in the Dawn of the Dead remake. God,
1: yeah, me too. But man, he, he was a big motherfucker back then, too. Oh, yeah. It would, add, it would add a whole different sort of pathos to the character, I and, think. And I so like is the Lawrence Fishburne. Everyman. He wasn't huge back then as far as muscle and stuff. Lawrence Fishburne used to be a skinny
0: guy. Well, Eric LaSalle was, like, as far as body build, that's the one that I think of that would be... But I, I, I'm glad it was Tony Todd. Oh, yeah, me too, for sure. All right, number three. There's a point in the film that an elderly woman zombie, who I dubbed in my notes Grandma Zombie, walks fully into frame, looks around, and then turns toward the house, barely to be seen again. Why did this zombie earn such a prominent shot in the movie? A, she was Tom Savini's mother. B, she was supposed to be a bigger part but got cut. C, she was the owner of the house they used for filming. Or D, she wasn't actually a zombie, but a craft services person in the wrong place that looked oddly appropriate for the shoot.
1: Oh, I want to say it's C.
0: Yep, she was the owner of the house they used for filming. (laughs) All right, and finally, the actor who appears late in the film as Sheriff McClellan is no stranger to zombie pictures. What is his contribution to the genre? A, he was one of the original Night of the Living Dead zombies. B, he was Johnny in the original Night of the Living Dead.
1: It's Russ Steiner, He was zombie. Yeah. He was Johnny. I yeah, mean. he yeah, was yeah, Johnny.
0: Yeah, yeah. I actually write funny questions this time and you cut them all off. I see how it is.
1: <laughs> oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Now I want to hear it. Let's hear it.
0: Fine. C, he was one of the rednecks at the end of the original Night of the Living Dead. Or D, he once watched Night of the Living Dead in his mother's basement.
1: So you? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hey, it was in my living room, not my basement. Oh,
1: right. Sorry. Yeah.
0: All right, man. Where can people find you? What do you uh, want to promote?
1: Uh, You can find me, as always, on the Double Edge Double Bill podcast. Uh, It's D-E-D-B pod on, like, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, You know, we do a weekly show where we talk about one good, one bad movie this month, because it's October, we're doing all spooky movies. Uh, I'm getting set to record tomorrow night. Actually, we're doing a Barbara Crampton episode. Right. which will be fun. I The, the bad choice uh, beyond the gates uh, earns the pick for bad.
0: Doesn't I say it? That. <laughs> oh,
1: fuck. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, fuck. But um, yeah, you can find us there all every week. Like I said, we always release stuff. We also do a lot of Patreon uh, episodes. Like we have one called on the edge of relevance, where we talk about a new movie that's either in theaters or to streaming. Uh, we just did one for uh, no time to die. The new James Bond movie. Our next one is going to be on Halloween kills. Uh, which will be interesting, and then uh, then personally, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at atom or adam. That's A T O M underscore or underscore A D A M.
0: And letterboxed?
1: Oh yeah, letterbox at Schwanson S C H W A N D T S O N.
0: And and what does that mean, Adam?
1: Ah, fuck, you know. All right, I'll tell you what. I'll break my code <laughs> for you, Schwanson. Was a term that me and my friends came up because I had a buddy in in school, middle school and high school named John Schwant. So we all, well, I mean, he does. He's not on there anyways, but John Schwant. So we always said Schwanson. And uh, basically that was the name of his penis.
0: (laughs) You know, I have been theorizing for months that it was dick related
1: somehow. (laughs) Oh, it's it's absolutely 100% (laughs) dick related.
0: All right man thank you so much for uh for making me watch this one this was I, as yeah, i said I'm i've been so hesitant about it for years Uh, because i am such a fan of the original but i Mm -hmm. this one definitely lives up to the original it's like there were a lot of the negative reviews that talked about the fact that he did it he only did it for the money he only did it because that way he could finally get a producer's credit and make money off night of the living dead but i was like no there's some really good stuff in here so i enjoyed it
1: i'm glad you liked it man yeah i i agree it's one that i think is criminally underseen because of its title uh because the original is such a classic that nobody wants to bother with it but I'd uh, If you're a fan of the zombie genre alone, just the zombie genre, uh, and good makeup effects and things like that, then I think it's definitely worth a watch.
0: Agreed. Agreed. So that does it for this week, but you can keep the conversation going throughout the week on social media. Share your thoughts about Night of the Living Dead, or maybe tell me about a movie you'd like to come on the show and talk about. You can find me at Talnhess, that's T-A-L-N-H-E-S-S, on Twitter and Letterboxd, or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter. On Facebook or at Have Not Seen This podcast, or email me at have not seen this at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, including next week's episode.
1: I'm afraid! Don't be afraid! No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. <laughs>
0: This podcast is available through all major podcast sources. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love. And if you enjoyed this movie conversation, I invite you to check out my other podcast as me and Drew Meyer sit down each month to talk about a movie and ideas we can pull from that movie for tabletop role-playing games. It is called Never Say Die, also available through all major podcast sources. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Adam Thomas for providing this week's conversation. Until next week, I'm Rave Telsch, and this has been Have Not Seen This. Be kind to each other.